Chapter thirty three of Just as I Am. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Just as I Am by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. Chapter thirty three In Tangley Wood. Dulcie recovered from her fainting fit only to fall into a state of extreme prostration which lasted for some days. She was not actually ill, and when Sir Everard talked of sending for Mr. Jebb, she entreated most earnestly that he might not be summoned. Oh, "'There's nothing amiss with me, nothing,' she said wearily, "'except perhaps that I'm tired. Let me rest, papa, and do not make yourself unhappy about me. I have no doubt I shall live to be a very old woman. I can see a long vista of years stretching before me.' She gave a heart-breaking sigh and turned her face to the wall. This was the longest speech she had made since she came from Tangley Manor. Hitherto she had been curiously silent, not sullen or impatient, but as if mute from utter weariness and depression of soul. "'You see, Sir Everard,' Fanny Grange said, when she and the baronet were alone, "'it is not so easy to break a tie of that kind.' He stood at the window of his study with his back to Francis, looking out at the bright parterre, gay with its variety of spring flowers, tulips, jonquils, hyacinths, ranunculus, and was slow to answer her. He had asked her to come to his study and talk to him about his daughter, who was lying on the sofa in her bedroom, gazing listlessly at the bright blue sky, employed neither with book nor work, interested in nothing, the image of silent despair. "'I ought not to have brought her home,' said Sir Everard at last. "'That was a mistake. But I was seized with a sudden dread of dying abroad and leaving her alone and helpless in a strange country. I have made no friends for her in all these years. We have been all the world to each other. And now that the sands in my glass are nearly run—' "'Oh, Sir Everard!' exclaimed Francis, with a pained expression. "'How can you talk like that?' You are in the prime of life. I am at an age which, with some men, means the middle stage of life. With me it means decline. It is not for every one that the drama of life extends to five acts. Some play out their parts in three. The evening shadows are closing round me, Lady Frances. My little girl will soon be alone in this bleak, unfriendly world. If I could but see her happy happy with another than Morton Blake, before I go, I should die almost at peace. I cannot understand why you should be so determined against Dulcie's marriage with Morton. I do not ask you to understand. I have my own reasons, which I prefer to keep to myself. And yet I am treating you more frankly than I have ever treated anyone else, because I admire your character and I want you to be my Dulcie's friend. I am her friend with all my heart and soul. The few days that I have spent with her have endeared her to me more than I can say. Perhaps it's because I pity her so much. Good, said Sir Everard. Let us shake hands upon that. The little brown hand trembled in his as he clasped it in frankest friendship, never suspecting that an interest in himself and in his sorrow might be growing up in the girl's mind, deeper and stronger than friendship. "'Oh, but that you and Dulcie should be friends is only the first part of my scheme,' he pursued. 
I should like you to be sisters. Adopted sisters? Uh, no. Sisters-in-law, in fact. Real sisters in affection. I have a shrewd suspicion that your brother has a sneaking kindness for Dulcie. A sneaking kindness? echoed Francis. Why, he adores her. I ought not to betray his secret, poor fellow, because he has a certain amount of pride, and has never said a word to me about his feelings on the subject. But the fact has long been obvious to the Sheikh and Moulty and me. Quite too ridiculously apparent, poor fellow. But what is the good of that? Dulcie will never think of him. How do you know that? A woman is always inclined to be grateful to a man who honestly and intensely loves her, and out of gratitude love may come," concluded Sir Everard, with a sudden sigh, as if the words evoked some painful memory. "'It would make me very happy to think that poor Bevel had a chance,' said Francis thoughtfully. "'But I have a rooted idea that he is just the very last young man Dulcie would ever care about, especially after having been engaged to Morton.' "'Let him come here. Let him try his fate,' answered Sir Everard. "'He is a fine, frank young fellow. And, well, if he has not invented gunpowder, what of that? Your genius is apt to be a dangerous incendiary kind of personage, who is better adapted for anything in life than to make a good husband and father.' Oh, "'Dulcie is so clever, so accomplished,' sighed Lady Frances then she will be able to refine and enlarge the ideas of a husband. I'm afraid Bevel has hardly a thought of anything but horses and dogs. Oh, here's your brother, and you naturally underrate him, said Sir Everard impatiently. Let him come to us and make himself at home with us. Do not breathe a word to him about this idea of mine. That is a secret between you and me, remember. I shall not forget, answered Francis, gentler and more earnest of speech than she had been wont to be, softened, perhaps, by the quiet refinement of all things at Fairview. I am more flattered than I can say that you should trust me, Sir Everard, and believe me, you may trust me. I am sure of that, he answered gravely, and then, with almost fatherly tenderness, he laid his hand upon her shoulder and looked earnestly into her upturned face. That mobile countenance changed as he looked. A crimson flush mounted to the girl's cheek and brow, and faded as suddenly, leaving her very pale. "'Dear child, it is sweet to me to win your friendship, even at the close of life,' he said earnestly. "'You will be to me almost a second daughter. And now go to my pet, and try to win a smile from her. You are like a good angel in the house.' The days went by heavily for all the household, for all were full of anxiety about Dulcie. Gradually, slowly, the fair young face lost its painful look of blank amaze, as at the sudden revelation of some terrible grief, and softened into an expression of mournful resignation. News came from Tangley of Morton's improvement. The peril was said to be over. His recovery must needs be slow but the angel of death no longer hovered near the threshold. This good news Dulcie heard on the day she left her bedroom and returned to the ordinary duties of life. Her informant was Mr. Mork, the curate in charge of the bare old church at Osthorpe, 
who came to make his adieu before departing to shed the light of his talents and virtues upon a congregation more inclined to sympathise with advance ritualism than were the farmers and farmers' wives and daughters of rustic Daleshire. "'The fact is, Miss Courtney,' said the curate, "'this place is utterly benighted, and the people so love darkness that they resent any effort to enlighten them. They're a well-meaning set of people, I admit, and according to their lights they have been kind to me.' but their ignorance and prejudice are something astounding, and the man who remains among them must be content to hide his light under a bushel. How my successor, Mr. Haldimond, can reconcile himself to the idea of vegetating in such a hole— I beg your pardon, Miss Courtney, Fairview, of course, is charming—is more than I can understand. "'You have endured our darkness for nearly three years.' said Dulcie, with a faint smile at his grave self-importance. "'Why should it be harder for Mr. Haldimond to bear than for you?' "'Oh, because he is a man of some mark. Well, I had only just been ordained when I came to Osthorpe. Haldimond is my senior by twelve or fourteen years. He's a Christchurch man and a ripe scholar.' "'I hope he will be good to the poor,' said Dulcie. "'I hope he plays lawn-tennis,' said Francis. Oh, he is one of the best of men, and is sure to do his duty. He is a man of extraordinary energy and earnestness. Whatever he takes upon himself to do, he will do with all his heart and soul. That is why I cannot understand his putting up with such a contracted sphere for his labours. When last I heard of him, he was curate in charge of an immense parish in Ratcliffe Highway, all among sailors and the dregs of the population. He is a great athlete, Lady Frances, and was a crack tennis player at Oxford when the game was just beginning to be fashionable. I am sure you will like him. And now Mr. Mork, not without a touch of sentiment, took his farewell, invoking all manner of blessings on Dulcie before he went. I am rejoiced to hear that Mr. Blake's long illness has taken such a happy turn, he said as he shook hands with her. What anxiety you must have suffered while the result was doubtful. I hope when the happy event takes place I may be allowed to assist in the ceremony. I shall be charmed to come any distance for that purpose. Oh, you are very good, faltered Dulcie with a pale, distressed face. But I think it will be very long before you will be called upon to assist at my marriage. Oh, go oh, goodness gracious, you, uh, you don't mean to say... Um, stammered the curate, looking from Dulcie to her friend in bewilderment. Lady Frances frowned at him, and he held his peace and bowed himself out awkwardly. "'Oh, Fanny, dear, stop their congratulations and questions somehow,' cried Dulcie, hiding her tears upon Frances Grange's shoulder. "'But is it not a relief to know that he is recovering, that he is not going to die of your desertion?' <laughs> "'Yes, that ought to make me happy, ought it not?' answered Dulcie with a faint smile. "'And I think it would, if—' Here she burst into passionate weeping, and sobbed out her grief upon her friend's breast. Frances let her cry, and asked no questions, and uttered no consoling commonplaces. Tears were a better balm for grief than any preachment from friendly lips— Yet Frances was not a little mystified by this vehement sorrow, 
which seemed inconsistent with Dulcie's unselfish nature. Surely the girl ought to have been so rejoiced at her lover's recovery that her own grief should have been forgotten, or put aside as of little moment. "'And now, young lady, I am not going to let you mope indoors any longer,' said Frances, when Dulcie had dried her tears. "'It is a lovely afternoon, and you shall drive me into the woods, and we'll gather a heap of primroses, dog-violets, and wood anemones to decorate the church with next Sunday, so that this Christchurch scholar may see that stony barn brightened and beautified. Nothing like hard work as a cure for low spirits.' and you shall work like a galley-slave, Mistress Dulcie. Come, darling, order your carriage, and then we'll go and put on our hats. Oh, do you really wish to drive, Fanny? I shall expire if you stifle me indoors any longer. Remember, I am used to an open-air life. Then I'll order the carriage at once, dear, said Dulcie submissively. Half an hour later the two girls were in the wood near Tangley Manor, gathering wild flowers, while the ponies waited in a sheltered corner, and the groomling in charge slumbered placidly in the bottom of the carriage, with the reins in his hands. Tangley Wood was a lovely spot on such an afternoon as this, April at her best and brightest, when she has shed her last tears and tricked herself out in sunshine, before tripping off the stage she has done so much to beautify. The hawthorns were all in leaf, the hollies were gay with the lingering berries of last autumn, and the mossy ground was covered with spring flowers. The balmy air, the silence of the wood, broken only by a blackbird's melodious whistle, had a tranquillising effect upon Dulcie's nerves and spirits. Nature is so lovely that even our darkest moods must yield to her soothing power and Frances Grange was one of those girls with whom it was almost impossible to be silent or dull. She was so full of brightness and fun, so quick at seizing the ridiculous side of a subject. She pretended not to see that Dulcie was full of care, and insisted upon discussing Mr. Mork and his prospects, clerical and matrimonial, with a wealth of absurd conjecture that made Dulcie smile in spite of herself. Then again, there is a pleasure in all work done for a good purpose. A late Easter was just over, and the hothouse flowers which had been lent for the Easter decorations had been restored to their owners. The idea of decorating the old grey church for low Sunday with these simple woodland blossoms was delightful to Dulcie. She worked her hardest, digging up great masses of feathery moss, gathering innumerable primroses and blue scentless violets, until she had nearly filled one large basket, while Frances worked at another. Dulcie was on her knees in a hawthorn thicket, her hat thrown off and the sun streaming upon her bright hair through the leafless oaks above her, when she was startled by the rustling of footsteps amongst the fallen leaves, and looking up saw a woman and three children approaching slowly through the thicket, the children gathering flowers as they came, the woman walking with feeble, uncertain footsteps, as if even a quiet ramble in that lovely woodland were too much for her strength. There was a bank near Dulcie, and here the mother sat down to rest, while the children strayed about among the trees. "'Play hide-and-seek, dears,' she said, while poor Ma rests a little. "'But don't go far.' "'We won't lose you, Ma, dear,' cried a shrill boy. "'We know the big oak tree, and we'll come back soon.' 
off they scampered shabby knickerbockers and grey stockings chubby legs and scarlet socks all disappeared in a rush behind the brown oak bowls the mother sighed and then coughed and sighed again and laid her thin hand upon her chest as if in pain dulcie looked up from her primroses and at the sight of the wan cheek and its hectic flush she was moved to compassion she left her basket and went to the bank where the woman was sitting oh, i'm afraid you are not very strong she said sitting beside her and looking at her with sweeter sympathy no the woman answered with her eyes half closed and her head drooping a little i get weaker and weaker every day in spite of this fine fresh air and all the kindness that has been shown to me and the pain in my chest gets worse she lifted her head and looked at dulcie and at sight of the sweet pitying face and innocent blue eyes gave a little start oh surely no one else could have just such eyes as those she said you must be miss courtenay yes that is my name i thought you were a stranger here for i know almost every one about how do you happen to recognise me oh, because i lived for four years in your mother's service i knew you by your likeness to her i have been expecting to meet you somewhere or somehow for the last ten days for i knew you'd come home and you have been a good deal in my mind but it was not guesswork when i recognised you you have miss alice rothney's eyes i have often been told that i am like my mother and you were really in her service before she was married oh before and after her marriage i was with her till she died dulcie turned very pale and looked at the woman uneasily wistfully as if she would fain have questioned her yet shrank from doing so strange that i should meet you like this she said thoughtfully oh hardly strange dear miss courtenay if you are in the habit of walking in this wood i'm living in a cottage close by and i come here every day i'm just able to crawl as far as this and i sit here and work while my children play about i am glad to have met you there are no servants at fairview who remember my poor mother said dulcie with more reserve than was usual to her oh no the servants were all dismissed when sir everard went abroad i am more than glad to see you miss courtenay i have been hoping and praying that i might look upon your face before i died oh do not talk of dying i hope the summer will bring you strength the summer will make no difference to me dear young lady i doubt if i shall see the beginning of it i know i shall not see the end oh, yes i have longed to meet you longed with all my heart for i loved your dear mother fondly then why did you not stay to take care of me when she was gone i should have loved to have someone about me who had known her someone who could have talked to me of her oh, sir everard dismissed us all when he broke up his household answered lucy i am not saying that as a complaint against him for he was a good and generous master to me but i want you to know that i should never have left you of my own accord i would have been true and faithful to you as i was true and faithful to her oh tell me about her cried dulcie impulsively forgetting her reserve of a few minutes ago 
oh, she was the loveliest woman i ever saw the loveliest and the sweetest her nature was as beautiful as her face and was she happy quite happy asked elsie dear miss courtenay did you ever know any one that was quite happy she had many things to make her life bright and pleasant to her a devoted husband plenty of money many friends youth and beauty but you must know if all these things made her happy was she very fond of my father she looked up to him and admired him faltered lucy but she did not love him he was not her own free choice i heard that hinted once by a lady i know and it cut me to the quick there was some one else my mother liked better before her marriage was there not i'm not going to talk about the past miss courtenay your dear mother trusted me she treated me more like a friend than a servant and anything that i came to know in that way must be sacred oh yes i understand i ought not to have asked you said dulcie hurriedly mrs aspinall's light talk was true then sir everard had not been his wife's favourite suitor there had been some one else some one who had been rejected by her family to whom her heart had been given the stranger startled her presently by a sudden question is it true that you and mr blake are to be married miss courtenay Oh, no our engagement has been broken off oh i am glad of that indeed exclaimed dulcie with some hauteur pray what fault have you to find with mr blake oh none he is my benefactor i owe it to his kindness that i am spending the last weeks of my life in this sweet country place that i have a servant to wait upon me a pretty cottage to live in and am troubled about nothing but i do not think it would have been for your happiness to marry him that is what my father tells me said dulcie with a sigh come dulcie cried lady frances coming out of a green hollow where she had been on her knees gathering wood anemones for the last half hour i have filled my basket and i hope yours is full too for it's time we went home to tea End of chapter thirty three